season four of the Telly Award-winning podcast, coming at you like Joe Cocker and Jennifer Werns, love lifting us up where we belong, where the eagles cry, on a mountain high. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics, like Aberrant, Van Jackson, Shang Origins, the other voice of the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, uh, comic book writer, TV writer, uh, astronaut. Astronaut. I love it. Uh, I want to figure out where you're going in a minute, but if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes uh, featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it out. Um, Avalone, where are you headed, man? Astronaut. Um, what I got going on? I've got uh, Elvira in Monsterland number one premieres on May 17th. Los Angeles residents, I think I'm going to be at Golden Apple on May 20th signing them if you're around. Ooh, wow. Nice. Um, and that's other other stuff uh, to, to be filled, players to be named later. Players to be um, named later. Too much, too much stuff that uh, contracts unsigned, NDAs floating over heads like swords of Damocles. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. This writer strike is looming and it is, uh, it is uh, beating the hell out of me too, business wise. Oh, I'm uh, sure I it's, I'm fascinated that the, of all of the writer strikes I have experienced and I'm on either third, three or four or five right now. First one was 88. Um, I have seen no stockpiling. Yeah. The studios run out of TV in about two months. Yeah. (laughs) So, it's they don't get ready for this. Yeah, it's weird. This like these buying freezes that happen. I don't really understand it because you are going to need things in the pipeline. Uh, but yeah, but um, but yeah, that could be a whole show. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Other than that, um, yeah, the Jump Three Kickstarter ended. Uh, you know, about two weeks back. The surveys are supposed to go out. If you missed uh, getting the Jump Three, uh, head on over to my social media at Ryland Grant. And you will find a link to the uh, the backer kit shop, and you can uh, you can get everything there. So go check it out. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's bring on the guests because we're bringing on our guests this week. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, meet Derek McCall. Hello, and Greg, the bearded comic bro. Hey, what's going on? And Ryland's back. <laughs> I had to let my dog out. Sorry about that, guys. That's no. quite all right. The dog the dog has no thoughts on podcasting at the moment. No, so. she does not at the moment. At the moment, yeah, she might be back with some uh, with some feelings about you know uh, is Adnan guilty, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, Derek, tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself and Fanboy Planet. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to breaking into screenwriting in the next month. Uh, no, okay. Uh, so anyway, no, uh, yeah, I run Fanboy Planet. It's a website that's been around since 2001, and I've been podcasting audio since 2007 and i periodically experiment with video i've been doing that for the last few years i talk about comics movies tv uh basically i'm adhd so whatever really strikes me uh in an in a nerd way that's the topic i'm going to talk about cool and greg tell us a little bit about bearded comics bro yeah so it's just uh it's a podcast youtube channel that i started um just before the pandemic hit and like Good everyone time. else who was like, Hey, let's, let's just talk about comics and stuff. So I, that's what I do. I talk about uh, comics and I interview a lot of creators and have fun with that. So 
Yeah, and and this is part of you know uh, Abalone and I have started doing this more and more, bringing on you know folks in the media uh, that we like, folks that um, you know don't necessarily make comics but talk about comics, uh, uh, promote comic books, uh, get readers excited about good comics, um, and 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 these are two shows, the Bearded Comic Book Show and and Fanboy Planet in general. Um, that that have been really great to me over the years that I'm really excited about whenever I have something going on. Uh, these are, you know, the, the some of the first people I call. I've been on Fanboy Planet, what, three times now? Uh, uh, I think three. I think three. It, it, yeah, at least. And I've been on, um, you know, I've been on Greg's show, I don't know, five times. Five times. Like I gotta send. You, I gotta send you a robe. You got a five timers robe coming in. <laughs> nice. so. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. JK, that's, I'm that's not, something I'm not to sending aspire it. to for sure. <laughs> I'll and make a sticker. Yeah. Now, but, Derek, um, Derek and I met in a pre-social media yeah, 2002 or chat 2003. room mm -hmm. in which everybody went under names of their favorite comic book characters, or at least names they chose. I was Nick Fury. I was Kyle Richmond. Uh, yeah. I was I was given that. Like I was one of the two oh. two people that were uh, press. I, I still I don't. I, I've been working on Mark Hamill's. Uh, mockumentary comic book the movie i was i remember that i was ghost writing mark's character online and uh and and so that production company connected me with the people that were hosting this group and so it was me and uh uh rob worley who ran comics to film and we were the two press people that were nice. allowed in and i was i was a decade and a half away from working in comics at that time I that's was true a, we were just you nerds. Know, we were just nerds just hanging nerds. out at uh, places in LA when I was down. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, bearded comic bro, Greg. When you said you started right before the pandemic, which is very uh, forward thinking of you, because the you rest know, of us I, all what did you know? Started in April of twenty twenty. Guys, just just wait till I start my my vlog here in two years. <laughs> You're gonna know something's up. So right. Uh, no, uh, I started. I started on Instagram literally in 2019 of september and i kind of just trademarked everything bearded comic bro and i was like i want to start to do youtube videos and i was doing one a month for like january february march i'm like this is too much i quit i'm not doing it and then the pandemic happened i'm like well i got free time now. <laughs> yeah yeah i've made this joke before but i currently host two podcasts since the pandemic and i've always said if you went to me in 2019 and said, you're going to host two podcasts in 2020, I literally would have said, does the world end? Like, how is that a thing? Yes. Yes. The world ends. That's, yep. that's what leads to podcasting apparently is the end of the world, but you were ahead of the curve, uh, the curve on that. You have a life, lifelong interest in comics and you know, that has it, what, what does it go back that far? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I have a token origin story of, I always liked comics as a kid, right? I grew up watching the animated series shows, um, you know, for someone that was a, a 90s and reading the 90s comics. And I got out of comics for 10, 15 years reading them and stuff. But then a local comic shop opened up um, by, by where I was working. And I was like, well, I got to check this out. And I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to have a short box of comics. I'm like, and that's it. And then 25 yeah. long boxes later <laughs> she's like you remember when you said that um and so i started i was posting about my love for comics online and realized nobody else likes comics like in my friend group so i was just like well i'm gonna start my own instagram where i can find other comic people and 
it was the pandemic actually that then got me into doing creator interviews because my wife and I always like to go to comic cons. And one of the things I always liked was seeing creators and talking with creators and <laughs> Ryland actually was my first interview. Oh. <laughs> Ryland was on um, comic score, did the mainframe comic con, the online comic con. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I watched Ryland. I read his comics. I said, I love it. I'm like, Oh, Ryland, I would love to do an interview with you at some point. Would you? Uh... And he's like, done. And then Ryland's like, introduced me to Charlie and Stickney. And then from there, I was, I'm three years running now doing comic interviews. Probably I tried to do a, have an interview on the show every, every week. So it's been keeping me busy, but it, it literally, the pandemic created a void in my love for getting to go to cons and talk to creators. Sure. And then it was just like, now I want to know, I want to know like, how things tick and why people create and what they love. And so that was kind of how it spawned off of it. Well, sure. we, we, yeah, we, we covered some of this stuff, you know, with our other, um, we, we, we did a sort of sister show to this with a couple of other, uh, uh, you know, comic journalist types and, you know, this, uh, this origin story is, you know, it's pretty common, you know, um, yeah. uh, but, but, but it, it's amazing what just technological advances have, uh, have done for us. Just in a few years, you know, I mean, five years ago, like, you know, uh, Greg would not be able to find an audience. He would not be able to find a community. He didn't have a comics community where he was. You live right. in Col you live in Columbus, right? Yeah. Yep. It was in Columbus, Ohio. You know what I'm saying? So uh, couldn't find a comic community. And so the first thing he did is he's able to go online and find people that are just like him, that love comic books, that are excited about comic books. Um but then realize, oh, wait, this guy is interesting. Like, uh, we, we want to watch mm -hmm. this guy talk about comic books. We want to take our cues from this guy. This guy th this, this guy goes to the comic shop every week. He culls through things. Uh, uh, he finds stuff that he's passionate about. And then he brings it, you know, he brings it to the Internet. And he says, hey, guys, this is what I'm excited about this week. People watch it. They get excited about that stuff. And, and you know, again, I think that's a gift. A gift is, yeah. um, it's a, it, you know, you have become a tastemaker. Uh, uh, because of circumstance, because right. of technological advances, that is very interesting to me. And um, and and what we've been exploring here is how important uh, you know people like you guys are to the comics business. I mean, uh, um, you know, particularly guys who who you know are in the trenches, you know, making indie comics. Um, we do not survive unless we have champions. And 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 again, Greg, like you. You, you you saw me do an interview at, a, at an online con. You thought I had some interesting things to say. You then went and read my books and you're like, you know what? These are great books. Why isn't there, why isn't everybody reading those? And then you started talking my books up. You know what I'm saying? And so because of you and because of people like you, my audience grew, you know, you know, big time. Uh, uh, and, and, and so it is interesting, this comics ecosystem that we're always exploring, that we're always discussing just how, you know, we don't, I don't know. We don't, we don't survive without each other. That's so interesting. Right. To me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's well, what I, I missed but, most about cons was yeah. because like well, David and Ryland, we were all at WonderCon just a few weeks ago. I spend so much money just going in small press, picking up books I've never heard of many. I, maybe they're not that great. So I won't talk about them because I don't need to kill anybody while they're still trying to learn it. Yeah. Uh, but right. I just, I love finding something that, I can't get like if I go to a regional comic shop anywhere I visit, I find the comic book store and walk in and say, what can I get here that I can't get anyplace else? Because mm -hmm. it's like a local guy who just put his comics in here. 
you know, and that's how well, you find them. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the sort of the, the irony of all of that is that, um, I mean, the, the traditional comics publishing business is like now, you know, it is a burning, sinking ship right now. And, and, and the, the comics business more and more is now us. It is now these comics that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the indie scene, you know? Um, uh, and, and, and you talk about, well, th these radical changes we've seen in the last two years and the last five years, I mean, two years from now, five years from now, I want to have you guys back on and talk about like, oh my God, how much has this shit changed? Because, you know, it, 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 because people go into Kickstarter, because people yeah. doing it themselves, yeah. it's going to become the norm and not the, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll still have, you know, a handful of these traditional publishers, but. And um, we'll be saying like, who's Batman? Nobody knows who that is. <laughs> I don't anymore. think that's gonna happen. Well, no, 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 he's, he, yeah, yeah, he's, he, he, he's that guy in those movies, I think, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's yeah, like five. The, yeah. yeah. He's the dad figure on Batwheels, if yeah, I remember correctly. Uh, he's mysterious. He, he yes. is. Good. Yeah. He is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ethan Hawke played him for a couple of seasons, I think. Um, so, I, but I wanted to get into the fact that, you know, Derek, your origin story goes back further in terms of being in co comics journalism before having, you know, a podcast and having the website before you had a podcast or mm -hmm. video. So, like, what's the. What's the 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 way back origin to you getting into comics journalism? Like where where does that uh, start so from? Getting into journalism, uh, which if you want to call it that, um, is uh, cultural that, reportage is what I was trained that to call actually, it in, I, I, in I college. Was, I was in an improv group, and one of uh, my the guys that was in the improv group up in San Jose, uh, if I can name check it, comedy sports. Uh, and he became, he got a job as an editor for a site called Daily Radar, and which doesn't exist anymore, but he was right. like, they were snarky, and he said, I want Derek to write. I was answering, like, things on Craigslist to review movies and stuff. I couldn't get him uh, or convince Daily Radar that comics was a valid thing that people would be looking for co coverage. Uh, but... Uh, my then wife and I were talking and said, I want to go to a comic con. Like I came to even the fandom part of it. Like I was always a fan. I never went away from mm -hmm. comics. I was reading them my, since I was three. And uh, so we said, let's see if we can convince if I can go to comic con. It was 2000. Uh, and uh, if I can interview some people, will you pay my way? I went to the editor and said, and said it. so he did. And to talk about the insanity of, I had no business card. I had nothing that proved that I worked for Daily Radar. I walked mm. up, nothing in advance. No one will believe this story. I walked up to the press booth and said, here's my editor's phone number to prove that I work for a site, a website. Um, you can call him. And they said, no, 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 here you go. Here's your press badge. And I walked in, no advance plans whatsoever. How things and, have changed. And yeah. how things have changed. And Try that part. now. Try that now, kids. It's going to well, go great. I, I still can't even get a press pass. And the insanity so. is, uh, you know, that like, okay, so the first person I ever interviewed was this, I, I don't know what happened to him, but a guy named James Gunn, he had written this mockumentary about- From a guy, right? Guy yeah, made some yeah, trauma yeah, things. He, yeah. yeah, I think mm -hmm. he had. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it was just like, you walked up, you had access in a way that like you couldn't. And that's why I enjoyed uh, working on, when I say comic book, the movie, because it was sort of like, it's not necessarily a, a great film, but it's a great capturing the moment before everything exploded. Yeah. And so, you know, a year after I'd done that, 
uh, Daily Radar collapsed because the internet bubble burst. And so a couple of the other writers and I said, like, we still want to write. Like, I was writing for free for the last four or five I still really am. Uh, <laughs> I was writing for free for the last four or five months of Daily Radar to try to keep it alive because I enjoyed writing TV and comics coverage. And so I just transferred we, uh, a friend named Michael Goodson helped back it. We put it on there on somebody's server in a garage where they were playing uh, over, not overwatch. That's way too half-life, a half-life server. And we ran it, uh, you know, from there for a couple of years and kept going back to Comic-Con and we get bigger and bigger at one point. Sorry, Greg, I was able to like bring in a staff of seven and now I I'm lucky if I get one, you know, because I knew it was over when Good Housekeeping sent a, a stringer to Comic-Con. Like, this has gotten too big. What does Good Housekeeping care? Or that there was a website, I used to joke, say this, like, you know, any idiot with a, any idiot can buy a domain name and create a website. And I am that idiot. And, you know, like when I was in for Superman Returns and I was in the little press pit uh, at Comic-Con in Hall H and they, and there was somebody who was like robot chicken is God.com. And I kind of went, okay, it is absolutely over because, wow. <laughs> you know, the, the days of, and uh, so I've just kept doing like, you know, I was, I met you obviously, you know, that, that was fun. And that was just kind of my, my day job was like a high school teacher. And I was just doing this in the cracks. And that still is my, my motto is don't quit your day job. Uh, because there isn't money in doing this. I do this because it's fun. And every now and then, especially during the pandemic, I'm almost the opposite story of Greg. Like, honestly, thanks to you two, uh, it kind of kept me going of like, well, I want to promote David's book. I want to promote Ryland's book. Yeah. I'm very specific. And David Pepos and a, a few other friends I'd made over the years, like, well, I want to help. But I got really depressed during the pandemic. So sure. months without doing anything, mm -hmm. but this reconnected and it's like, you know, so I, I fade away. I mean, I've been doing it an awfully long time. I've been doing this yeah. for 24 years. And so I fade away. I come back, I fade away. I come back and I try to make it better each time. And, uh, you know, so that is it. I love, like I said, finding the small books. I love finding the big books, but you know, I'm going to be honest, James Gunn no longer returns my emails. So, uh, you know, go figure. He's probably got more important things to do, but you know, but, I, yeah. but it doesn't, I, you know, that doesn't matter to me because I also just love having been there at the beginning and knowing mm -hmm. that person deserves the success and not to turn this into this big love fest, but that the two of you mm -hmm. absolutely do. Thank you. You know, and then um, there are, there have been some occasionally studio people who have reached out to me and said, well, you may not have the biggest audience, but I know, you know, what's right. the book that's going to be cool. What should I be reading? I will not say which company, but somebody reached out and, and uh, the executives started paying attention to the writer's block because he asked me, what's the podcast that's going to tell me about how to make comics? And I said, oh, we'll give David and Ryland a shot. You oh, know? thank you. So that, is, I, that is something. I mean, I, I, I can't speak for Ryland, but I bet this is. I, I remember all of the things that helped me understand what it was. You know, I've been in film like Ryland most of my life. And I remember how seminal the making of Star Trek was to me as a book. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I ever saw a call sheet 
You know, I, I later became a first AD and a second AD. First time I saw a call sheet was in a book about how Star Trek was made. Uh, first time I saw a production report, you know, first time I saw, you know, I don't think there's a day out of days in there, but you know, there's a, all of the things that the art of Star Wars is another one that was just, here's production paintings, mm -hmm. here's storyboards, here's how things are done. Yeah. And when I came to comic books, I really hadn't, I never bothered to research how they were made. Yeah. Uh, and I always advise to the many, many people who are trying to turn their screenplays into comic books, you know, one, you better love comic books because if it doesn't get your movie made, you've spent months of your life and thousands of dollars on a brochure for a mm -hmm. television series, which is a terrible comic book. But, you know, they're, they're, the books are out there. The Scott McCloud books are out there. I just reread them. Yeah, and, and, if I, <clears throat> and if I had had a slightly different focus in my childhood, you know, the Scott McCloud books didn't exist when I was a kid. I think, and it probably was not easy to get your hands on one of those Will Eisner books, mm -hmm. you know, pre-Amazon. No. I don't think my local public library had, you know, the three the three volume set of Will Eisner books if they'd even been No, all you had was book. how to draw comics the Marvel The Marvel way. way. Yeah. Which and I do have a copy of. I, I do too. And even though I cannot draw to save my life. <laughs> but um, you know, and I and I do need to say if you don't mind myself, you know, I I have written comics too. I've been on that side, keep attempting from time to time. Uh so that also gives me an extra viewpoint i think when mm -hmm. talking to people mm -hmm. um you know because i've worked with three companies that essentially the publishers went near uh they were not like a big two or a big three they were small and so that really helped me understand how hard it is oh yeah and, and to to stay afloat and to stay on schedule and all those yeah. you know it really helped in my empathy especially it's, for indie creators it's a funny thing i don't want to you know uh empathy for the empathy for the the people who control our lives and have all the money and all that but there's a certain point to if you run a kickstarter by the time the smoke clears you have a little more sympathy i don't even know if i'd go as far as empathy but sympathy for publishers because you go wow the oh, margin for profit on a comic book are friggin microscopic no. and the yeah. risk even the most risk averse publisher you go Wow, putting all that time and energy into something that might sell three thousand copies and break even—it's kind of like teaching. Crazy. It's kind of like yeah. teaching, and that's my my empathy too. Because I still run into people who go, "Oh man, you must have been making bank as a teacher." I'm like, "Who are you believing?" Because you're not talking yeah. to any teachers, uh, you know, and the time and all that, you know. But it it was similar. And, One of uh, the fun games to play if you have any type of show business career is look up your net worth on those websites that that list people by their net worth yeah. i think my net worth is six million dollars on one of those websites i I, I I believe mine was 11 last time I and checked. it's and it yeah. says author oh. income and i'm like you people don't know what the page rates are dynamite do you? <laughs> in what world <laughs> in yeah world? like you don't you don't you think we're making you know batman movie money when we're not even making batman comic book money but uh, this is an entertainment just, industry yeah. comics that is you know, most people are doing it 100% for the love. They have yeah. a story they need right. to tell or want to tell. And if they're trying to do something commercial, I'm okay with that too. You know, I, I can't help but read a comic and sometimes go like, oh yeah, I see the movie. Like I just found yeah. an indie one where I was like, this thing should be a TV series. I know it yep. should be. And I hate to say it because I know that's not really why they did it. 
but I'd also like them to get a little bit of TV money, just a little. Yeah, bit, well, and, you know? and look, even when you're proceeding in the absolute best, uh, most artistic, not compromising thing, it's not unnatural. You know, there, there, there are there are overlaps in the medium, so it's not terribly unnatural for a comic book to be mm -hmm. something where you can really see the movie. Same with a novel. Same with the short stories. You know, mm -hmm. there, it's it's easy to want to see things in other uh, in other formats and to be inspired to go in that direction. But the, the ultimate question is always, does it work as a comic? And were you trying to make a comic, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and there, uh, Sarah Benacasa wrote a book called real artists have day jobs, which I think is a, is a thing people ought to say more often. It's great. If like, I haven't had a straight day job since, I don't know, the early nineties. I have also gone months without paying the rent since the early nineties. And that is the, that is the other trade off that you make. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for a lot of people in the, what I'll, what I like to call the professional arts, when I was editing low budget movies, that was a day job. Yeah. Like well, sometimes. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I get paid to write movies and TV shows. And a lot of times that's a day job. Yeah. And, and I had to start doing comics because there were stories I wanted to tell that I absolutely couldn't tell yeah. that, that people yeah. wouldn't allow me to tell, you know, in, in the film business. And, yeah. and, and that's, uh, you know, that that's, that's funny when, when like, you know, everyone else's dream job is your day job that, um, you know, that kind of pisses you off and sucks, you know, like <laughs> it's sort of, sort of, you know, my, my grueling office job or whatever. Um, but sometimes it feels that way. And um, yeah. sometimes, I, sometimes I feel like an idiot for, for feeling that way. I feel like a jerk. No, uh, no job and, is and, perfect. Yeah. And a lot of times I have to remind myself like, dude, you get paid to, you know, everyone I grew up with is they're back in Detroit driving fucking tow trucks. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it wasn't for me, but I get to write movies for a living. And so I should shut my fucking mouth, <laughs> you know? Oh, we are swearing on this podcast. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, oh, yeah, to, know. Yeah. Good to know. Have you not had Rylan on your show for a while? <laughs> uh, no, no, I have not for a while. Uh, I, 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 told, I told so many people to F off last week because uh, uh, I got on roll. Uh, I'm not going to do that this week. But um, Well, you, you guys also, you had Blake on last week too. So, I mean, there was a wild card. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah I, I wish we would have rolled on the, uh, <laughs> on the, the pre-show. Uh, because that, yeah. was, that, that was very fun. Yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of funny stuff in the pre. One thing I will say, like I had an experience in 1990 that has stayed with me forever, which was it was my my first paid directing job, and it was for like a low budget music video. It was nothing, and the night before the shoot, the producer canceled the shoot, and I had to get in a car and drive to Beverly Hills and stand in someone's living room and tell them, no, we're shooting tomorrow morning and that's how it's going to be. And here's why and blah, 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 blah. And I was in the car fuming and I literally got to a stoplight on Sunset Boulevard about five blocks from the guy's house and a piece descended over me because I went, this is the job. You want to be a film director. This is actually the job. The job is not cocktails with Angelina Jolie at the Beverly Hilton. That is not actually the job. The well, job is that you did it. Yeah. The, the, the job is standing in a producer's living room at 1 a.m. when you have to get up at four to shoot saying, no, we're doing it. We're doing it my way. Let me go take you through the storyboards one more friggin' time. So you understand what I'm trying to do here. You know, that's the gig. And you kind of, I can't say that this is something that can be perfectly accomplished by anyone ever, but 
to remind yourself in those moments when you're most mad at the producer, the publisher, the editor, whatever. It's like, no, this is the gig. You know, I had one script out of all of them, and this is not telling tales too far out of scale. Out of all the work I've done with Elvira, she has been a delight to work with. She threw one script in the garbage with very little explanation as to why. And that was a bad week. That was a very bad week for me because I felt completely like a failure and I had not done my job. And it wasn't really something she could explain why she didn't like it. And my job for that week was figure out why Cassandra hated this script and come back with a script that she won't hate. And what I figured out is the movie I was parodying was clearly one she didn't like. That was what I was like. The only reason I can think of for her to reject this thing out of hand is that 50% of this issue is Naked Lunch and Naked Lunch isn't a horror movie. And it's a little off brand for us to put it in here. So I took it all out, swapped in stuff from the fly and scanners and Videodrome and sent that off and got back. Yeah, this is great. Go ahead with no other <laughs> notes. And I was like, okay. Similar story. So um, uh, my writing partner and I, my TV writing partner, we just we sold this TV show to, to Lionsgate, and um, and it's gotten a little more complicated now with the strike. But we're, we were starting to have all the network conversations, trying to figure out where it's going to air. And so we do this pitch for Amazon, um, and it is um, we're doing this pitch. We're doing it with with the actors, with some of the producers. So we have this whole team, and it's this you know. I don't know, it's this cool dog and pony show and great in a lot of ways because TV executives are used to, you know, goon writers sitting there reading off pages, you know, uh, uh, and, and they don't want to hear from us, you know, they don't like us, but we have these three handsome, attractive, charismatic, in-demand actors uh, uh, who can take some of the pitch from us, right? And so rather than me being like, this is Edmund, uh, this is his deal, uh, uh, this is why he's interesting. This is where he fits into the drama. I have David Diggs sitting there being like, I'm playing Edmund. And this is why Edmund is awesome. This is why I really want to play Edmund. And this is why these two are the greatest uh, uh, writers that have ever lived. And so, you know, that, that makes it, uh, that makes it a lot easier. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 the network executives, they love these guys. They love anything they say. Um, and so that puts you in an advantage, but we do this first pitch and, um, it goes for about 45 minutes, right? Um, which is not completely out of the realm of like reasonable when you're pitching an entire TV series and an entire first season and beyond. Um, but we were a little clunky. We didn't really like it. There were some dead spots. Right. Um, and so this pitch ends at like 6 PM on a Monday, uh, at 10 AM on Tuesday, we have another pitch and we have another, we have a second and we have a third pitch that day. Um, and my wife is supposed to go out with friends that night uh, and I have to put my daughter to bed and all of these things. And it's like, Hey guys, that wasn't our best. Uh, that wasn't our best foot forward. We have to work on this. And so it goes into panic mode. And so we are working from 6 PM until 1230 AM. We have to take the pitch apart, put it back together, take the pitch apart, put it back together, figure out what's working, toss this aside that we really love, all of that stuff. And it's like, you're talking about David, where it's like, this fucking sucks. I hate this job. All this blah, 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 blah. But it's like, no, this is the job. Right. You know, I, I get to do this. There yeah. are, there are literally 
10,000 people in this town that would murder me right now to switch places with me. Um, and then, and, 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 and so, so, so you have to stop. You have to tell yourself that you have to put your head down. You have to get back to it. And, and, in the, and, and so we went in the next day at, at 10 AM and, uh, and, and, and we give that second pitch. It's 21 minutes long and it was fucking perfect. And it hummed and it was beautiful and it was amazing. And they were laughing when they needed to laugh. There were no dead spots. Uh, and every pitch since then has been 21 minutes and it has been phenomenal. You know what I'm saying? And so again, again, that's the job. The job is not, you know, the job is not going to a fucking concert with David Diggs and and all that stuff. It is, it is being in the fucking trenches with fucking bombs exploding over your head, Mm -hmm. having to take this thing apart and put it back together. Uh, uh, because you have a pitch the next day at 10 AM that is live or die. Right. Yeah. And that's why you're worth $11 million. There you go. <laughs> there well, you go. and also, you know, to, to bring it back to bring it back around, I mean, that's you know, part of the 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 part of the ecosystem that makes podcasts like yours invaluable is that it you you get you get into you know why is something made, how is it made, why is it good, why is it worthwhile? And you know, that's the other end of the pipeline. The, the other end of the pipeline is you need people who love the work and who will promote it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting, Derek, I, you talked about not destroying someone's career because you bought their first indie comic and it was not good. And it's, we've talked about this before too, the Jonathan Gold uh, system. Yeah. Jonathan Gold was LA's, one of the premier food critics in the world and he never gave a bad review because he understood that his power as the LA Times restaurant critic was that if he went to some hole-in-the-wall place and had a shitty time and said, this is a shitty restaurant, he could literally end someone's life and career. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, just not worth it. They had a bad but, night. I'll come back in a year. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe I'll write a good review. But it's not worth, you know, and I've tried very hard. It's, it's, it's tricky. And, you, you know, I have a hard time stick, staying away from the sacred cows whose lives I cannot in any way negatively affect. But, you know especially if you do this for a living, you know how backbreakingly hard it is. You know how even the people who you hate who do bad work really think they're doing good work and they're trying their best. I can name some very powerful people in the yeah. comics industry that when they're bad, they're very, very bad. And when they're good, they're great. Yeah. But I to, to get back to the top, when you talked about Kickstarter and your panel at WonderCon was about this, you know, Kickstarter has changed that in terms of appreciation for me too, uh, the Kickstarter to convention pipeline, if you will, this book that I really, really liked and I did review and got to get back to more on my stack. The first issue was done like seven years ago and I'd never heard about, heard of it. Right. You know, they kickstarted it in those early days. The artist, I read the first issue the first night and I said, told them I'm going to come back the next, I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to read this tonight. If I like it, I'm going to come back and buy, buy the rest of it. And the, the story was really good. I didn't really spark to the art, but when I bought the rest and started seeing each year, the artist got better and better. Mm-hmm. And almost every complaint I'd had about the first issue was gone by the end of it, you know, so that it, that's giving people a chance to grow. You know, I turned down, I never bought first comic con. I went to uh, battle Pope by this guy named Robert Kirkman. And I was like at the time teaching, you know, and I wasn't teaching yet again in a Catholic school, but I was really, uh, 
Mormon, my deep, dark secret, my origin, spent a few years with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I was offended by the very concept and I didn't like it. And so I wouldn't even look at it. And yes, that was stupid. I tell people, you, you will not go broke betting against the things that I go, oh, that's terrible. Uh, you know, uh, but later when he did The Walking Dead, I'm like, oh, I could have been a Kirkman fan way back when, you know, but you don't know because he was just selling that in his little table. And, you know, that's so I try to give that give that chance. Let them grow. Let them learn. Yeah. No, and you can tell, you know, you talked about retailers before. There are retail shops that you walk into. I mean, you know, I, I do the same thing you do. I always visit comic shops when I'm traveling. And sometimes you look into walk into a shop, look around, and it's literally Marvel, DC, and Walking Dead. And I can just turn around and walk right out. It's fine. You know, like it's, I was like, this is not a, this is not an argument I'm going to win. This is not a fight I need to have. This is not, not even to put it in negative terms, but there are people who are like, if I haven't seen a major movie or television show about it, it's not a comic book I care about. But they've about. got to stay, the retailers right. have to stay alive too. If that's oh, yeah. all that's no, selling, I, you know, it's hard yeah. to take a chance. Their margins are so thin. It's oh, absolutely. Ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. This is an insane business. Yeah. No, it really is. And it's so much of it. I don't know how to, talking about battles, I don't know how to win. Outside of the United States, comic books as a medium has a completely different cultural reputation mm -hmm. and size mm -hmm. of audience. If you walk to someone on the street in Spain and said comic books for ch are for children, they would look at you like you were a fucking crazy person and go, but I also think every comic book I've ever read had a lot of nudity and cursing and violence right. in it. So like, I don't know. Where what are you giving your kids? <laughs> yeah. But, you're giving your kids torpedo. Really? That seems horrible. I think that's uh, a childhood trauma. I mean, you know, like yeah. when, when we were kids, David and I, at least, I don't know how old you are, Ryland, and it's not polite to ask on a podcast, <laughs> but I know that David the gentleman and I are, doesn't ask. That's right. Our, our birthdays are not far apart. Uh, and, when we were kids, absolutely. Like this was a big deal. Like, because all we had as far as trade paperbacks was the origin of Marvel comics right. or that big book that I would occasionally check out from the library comics with an X and hope that my parents didn't know what was yeah. actually in it. So when we were kids, they were just for kids. Yeah. And I think now uh, for the last two decades, at least look, we, the nerds ruled the world. I mean, it's whether we actually do, but the culture, we have the greatest cultural weight. Yeah. And so I think, you know, you walk into most comic shops, even I, I think maybe it's the problem with DC and Marvel right now is I don't think there are comics for kids most of the time yeah. from them. I wouldn't give those to us to a young kid the way that I could, my parents could go into the Ronda Rexall, grab something off the spinner rack right. and they it, trusted. It's also wild that they don't want to make comics for kids the fact that marvel let idw I have captain marvel and the guardians of the galaxy and star wars for kids the fact that marvel let nick at dynamite take darkwing duck like dc just kind of or disney just kind of let or scar and yeah yeah they're doing all the disney the fact that well, dynamite and, is and doing a handful of yeah. in like can d does you know Sabolsky look at the sales figures on Darkwing Duck and even have a moment of like, oh, 
that's a million dollars we could have made. Well, but no, 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 no. But here's yeah. Here's the thing: is is uh, Marvel being bought by Disney? You know, it was great for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and DC being owned by by the WB. You know, great for movies. Uh, terrible for fucking comics. You know, yeah. um, uh, being owned by these massive conglomerates. It's um, you know, we've talked about this before, but there was this old you know uh, uh, cliche years back that um, you know, Bill Gates makes so much money every minute or whatever that if he was walking down the street and he saw a hundred dollar bill, it would actually cost him money to stop and pick it up. Right. Uh, uh, he can make a lot more money doing almost anything else. Um, and that is really how these, uh, that's really how these conglomerates operate. And so, so, you know, the, the, uh, making a million dollars to them is the same as losing a million dollars. They, they, uh, you know, they, they only measure success in, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars now with these comic book movies. And so, so the, the, the comic book business that we're talking about, it is a lot of work and it's a lot of trouble and, and, and there's, there's no home run potential there. The, yeah. the ceiling is very low in terms of stock price and monetary. Uh, you know, what they don't realize is that this stuff is fueling their entire cinematic machine and, 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 and they can't see that. And so they're, they're not giving it the, the care but it's like you know it's like wait, wait a minute how, how much money did we make like in our best year that's not worth it why are we worrying about this yeah. like screw it mm -hmm. you know axe it let, let, let's not do individual issues anymore let's uh let's only put out digital comics let's uh let's only put out collections um uh th this is where that business is heading uh uh and it, it and it sucks and, and and it is only a company uh you know let's say like idw where where this is their whole business right like it, it's it's a very big coup for them to get you know darkwing duck or whatever um uh you know they're not doing too well for other reasons <laughs> um yeah. uh but but again that that's a sign of it all also and and so um so so yeah and and I, you know this this is what killed the independent film movement you know is because because again it is not they do not give two shits about making a 10 million dollar movie anymore that or or you know, certainly not a $5 million movie or a $2 million movie, you know, it's like, Oh, well, we made this $2 million movie and it made five. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we can make 30 of those and have to hire all these people and deal with all this right. nonsense and lawsuits and writers and God knows what, or we can make five giant fucking movies and make a billion dollars a piece on them and not have to worry about it. So we're doing that. Right. Well, and and what's happened is the streamers have figured out, let's just buy the talent from the indie film boom of the 90s and early aughts and let them make TV series. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, that's indie films have essentially almost completely ported into yeah. streaming series as yeah. opposed to or even, you know, in the case of like someone like Sarah Polly, it's like. Yeah, Netflix is like, we want an Academy Award nomination. Let's give Sarah Polly $10 million to make a movie about, you know, rape in a in a, a highly religious community. Like, we're not going to make $200 million for it, but we're going to get an Academy Award nomination, absolutely, for at least, you know, the screenplay and maybe some of the actors. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're dropping the money. And look, that's always been the model of Hollywood. I think one of the biggest mistakes the industry has made as an industry is that in the first Academy Awards, they got it right and they've never gotten it right since they gave two, they gave one for best production, best picture, and one for greatest artistic achievement in film. 
Uh, best and, production would be wings, right? Let's just, yeah. you know, throw wings. that in so nobody has to scurry to Google. Yeah, the big, exciting, uh, epic action movie with incredible special effects is the first winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture. And Sunrise, a poetic film about a man uh, betraying his wife and coming back to her and re-winning her trust. That's almost, it's you know, they're both silent films. But it, that Sunrise barely even has any intertitles. It's mostly just visual and that also won best movie of the year. It won most artistic. Yeah. And I like, to me, that was the most, the Academy Awards at their most honest was, yeah. we got this thing that we love that made a million zillion dollars. We got the thing that we love that uh, the critics loved. Here's an Oscar for making the movie that makes a million dollars, zillion dollars. Yeah. Here's the Oscar for making well, the thing that's yeah. the prettiest and the best and the sweetest and all that. And, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I do feel like they could do, you know, they could have a best pandering biopic uh, uh, category. Right. And, exactly. and, and, and all those movies are only qualified for that award. And then we just take those out of the mix, right? And then really what you need is you need an award that Top Gun Maverick can win because Top Gun Maverick is awesome. It's never in a million years going to win an award. So, be like, you know, you know, those movies that you actually liked, they're in this category, right? And then, you know, and then do and then do the artistic achievement uh, yeah. uh, awards with all of those called out. And then and then, you know, and then people will leave feeling satisfied. Yeah. Right. But and, a, and a reminder, though, that Gladiator, Gladiator and Return of the King both won Best Picture. So every once in a while, Top Gun Maverick absolutely wins the Academy Award. It just, you know, that's not the current trend line. If you want right. to talk yeah. best mechanically made uh, crowd pleaser, absolutely. You know, yeah. I watched Top Gun Maverick and I agree with you, Ryan. Great, great movie. But it was that art? No, I could I could predict every I, next line. Well, no, no, it, th th there is an art in entertaining people. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I just no, that, I, I, be, 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 best you know be, best popcorn movie is is totally you know what I'm saying. There's, did it, there's, did, there's no, did it need an award though? I argue uh, with people all the time, like when I, they said like, oh, uh, you know, Black Panther should have won Best Picture. I'm like, yeah, but we're still talking about Black Panther. Yeah, I don't even remember what beat it. I, 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 yeah, was it Greenbrook? No. Maybe I don't remember because that's funny, but no, the history of the Academy yeah. is also full of the history of movies winning Oscars that no one will ever talk say, about, yeah. even to make yeah. fun of. Like they only talk about Crash as like an undeserving piece of shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why they really should award the they should award the the the, the Oscars five years later. You know, we we, we have some. We're, we're not caught up in nonsense. I like have, that. We're, we're able to look back on everything and really see hmm. what yeah. was important, what had staying power. Um, uh, you know, again, the two actors in this movie are huge stars now because they were so great in that movie. So let's take a yeah. closer look at that. I, no, but so, I, I don't like to review That's an movies. interesting concept. I don't think it would ever yeah. work for them. But Well, I mean, again, it's forgetting <laughs> well, that the... It's a marketing the, tool. That's really the, what the Yeah, exactly. Are, right? yeah, the, yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah, the whole yeah, purpose yeah. of it is to yeah. be able to is is to be yeah. able to boost the box office of yeah. something. But yeah, 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 but we don't we, we do not put people in the Hall of Fame the moment they retire and there's a reason yeah. for that. No, that's right? absolutely we, we need some yeah. we need some perspective on their on their careers on uh, on where they fit into the pantheon, right? Yeah, um, no, Crash and, is definitely one of those movies that three years later, but I would argue so yeah. is Gladiator, that three years later everyone would have gone, come on, really? No, Best I, Picture? No. Yeah, I, you I know. think like, I want to revisit on my site. You know, I've got 22, 23 years worth of movie reviews as well as comics reviews where I go, Ugh. you know, and I think about that, like uh, my podcast producer, Rick Brett Schneider, 
uh, reviewed The Dark Knight Rises and raved. And then I went and saw it, and somebody said, I said, no, I liked it. And he said, and this guy said, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You only think you did. And then I said, <coughs> years later, yeah, I'll watch The Dark Knight yeah. anytime it's The Dark Knight Rises, other than the fact that how Bane sounds in our head has yeah. been changed forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's it. That's yeah. the only cultural impact of that film. So you're just saying you don't like that Christopher Nolan recreated the scene from Batman 66 movie where Adam West is getting rid of a bomb exactly. in the ocean and just did it on a bigger scope? No, well, no, because well, to the be fair, 66 the... moment is the greatest moment in all yeah. of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't. There's another. Let's go this yeah. way. Yeah. Some Which is, by the way, not unrelated Not unrelated to Joss Whedon redoing the end of the Iron Giant at the end of Avengers. Robot man flying into outer space with atomic oh, bomb yes. to save everybody in the yeah. town that he loves. Uh, uh, and again, I'm you know I'm fine with that. It's there. There are tropes. There are you know there are ten endings. We cycle through them as we can. Right. But uh, but yeah, the artists borrow. Terrible yeah. people steal. My okay. favorite uh, my favorite example of critical uh, trends and reassessments. I was in college when Never Say Never Again came out. Richard Schickel in Time Magazine said it was the best, most serious Bond movie since From Russia With Love. Since I was in college, I had a library with a very vast periodical section. I went back to 1963 and found the Richard Schickel review of From Russia With Love. So bad it borders on self-parody. But in the 20 years since then, People had explained to Richard that From Russia With Love was actually a classic and perhaps one of the best Bond movies. So by 1983, suddenly Never Say Never Again, which is pretty terrible, is great because it's like From Russia With Love, which was also terrible when he reviewed it in 1963. And I, I, it's fine for you to go, you know, when I saw this the first time, I didn't get it. Uh, when I saw Big Lebowski the first time, coming off of Fargo, I, I forgot that the coen brothers checkerboard that they make a serious movie and then they that make an absolute balls out ridiculous farce yeah. and then they make a serious comedy and then they make a balls out ridiculous farce and i was comparing it to fargo not raising arizona right. yeah I, I i i think coen brothers films in general are you need some perspective on i think yeah. it's hard to, it, it's hard to pick up all you know, and the I mean, second time i saw it i was yeah. like this is one of my yeah. favorite movies ever made yeah. but i wasn't expecting what if a dumbass hippie was Philip Marlowe <laughs> as the plot of a movie? Like, you know, that was just a, we're going to do the big sleep, except the guy's just the dumbest son of a bitch in the world oh, yeah, and has dumb friends instead of having smart friends. And that's, you know, he's truly, buddies with John Milius for some reason, because that's funny. Um, truly great films and truly great comics are the ones that you revisit and you find something new. Every yeah, time I watch every some. Time. Yep. There yeah. are, you know, Casablanca being my favorite. I always find something new on Casablanca. Yeah. Uh, the same with comics, though. When I, you know, I don't know, Greg, if you have this feeling, too, especially now that the world has kind of come back to life a little, it's hard to find the time to revisit a comic and then re and then reread and go like, oh, I totally missed this the first time around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I'm probably going to do that with uh, Mark Russell books. Uh, you do that from with Grant Morrison from time to time and certainly Alan Moore. You know, are there other writers that, because I'm more of an art uh, writer person than an artist, because I understand writing, sort of, right. uh, you know, that I pick things up, 
that I would just never have, you know, realized. Watchmen, well, I reread every three or four years because yeah. there's always something new. But I th that is something that as someone who reviews comics and talks about comics that I appreciate. I appreciate having dialogue with other people who can offer me insight to stuff that I might not see, which then justifies why I do what I do, right? Like of when I'm reading something, I'm like, hey, here's, you might've seen this, but here's the perspective I've had. I've been on enough shows where I've had conversations where I've gone into a book where I'm like, I didn't really like it. And the moment I talk to a creator or the moment I talk to other people who really like it, I can say, I can see it. And it doesn't always change my opinion. Let's be honest. But there are times where I go, you know what? I wasn't, I was looking at it from my own lens. And then when I can look at it through other people's lenses and at least appreciate where they're coming from or what they're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, I've, I've changed my mind on comics a lot and, or like, Ooh, did I, did I really like this one? Or was I just like, Oh, it was fine. Well, well I, I, and here's the thing is you're, you're alluding to this, like this, uh, there is like this spirit of collaboration in the comic book YouTube community that I, that I think is really interesting, really exciting. Um, and, and I know that, you know, you have a lot of other, you know, prominent comic YouTubers who you're friends with and you'll go on their shows and they'll come on your shows right. and you, you do these collaborations and there's a lot of interaction online and everything. And I love how that it is this ecosystem that sort of feeds itself, right? If you get excited about a book, then the other YouTubers are like, oh, wait, maybe I should check this out. Then they read it. You know, I, I'll go, I, I'll go on your show and then, you know, uh, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks later, I get these other things trickling in like, Hey, do you mind coming on our show? Do you, you, you know what I'm saying? You guys all, and, and, and I love when I'm on lost in comics or something like that. And then, you know, and then they're, they're putting comments, comments on the screen and I see you pop up, you know, I see, right. uh, I see Brian Wayne pop up. I see, you know, wh wh whatever it's, um, uh, I, I think that's so interesting. And I, I, so I love that, um, you know, again, there's, there's this, um, there's this great power and this great responsibility, uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, in, 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 in what you do and and it goes back to the the kind of original premise that sort of set us down this road where it's like you know um i mean you could you can kind of destroy a, a comic book a, a comic book career with one you know with with, with one bad review right you, you you get on you trash a book then suddenly none of the other youtubers are like oh well, well we don't need to read that <laughs> we don't need to talk about that you know what i'm saying uh but if you get really excited about something, you can right. not not just excite your, uh, your 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 listeners, your viewers, your followers. You can excite an entire community, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it is funny. I do think there is some crossover when it comes to like YouTubers who interview people because they're like, "Oh, well, if Greg can get this person on, I can definitely have them on my show." So <laughs> it's yeah. a lot easier. But there is, I I don't do this for a paycheck. I don't do this for smart anything. man. Like I, I, I can't. So for me, if I'm going to take the time to review something right. or talk about a creator, it's going to be something I like. Uh, there's been very far few interviews where I'm like, I've had someone on and I'm like, this is not good uh, because I don't, and I won't say that, but I don't, I don't want to do that. Cause I don't want to, again, I don't, it's not my, you know, art's such a subjective medium anyways that it might just not be for me mm -hmm. and yep. I might not appreciate what it is. And so who am I then to say, well, this is horrible. Now there are times that maybe there is a place to say, no, this is just bad, but I just, I can't do that on my, like, that's just not my brand of my yeah. show. So yeah. I'm just like, you know what, if it's not for me, I'm just not going to bring it on or promote it on my show. But, and I but think what? that, 
no, go ahead, Derek. I was just going to ask, Greg. I mean, because uh, I'm going to have to stop soon. But is Greg, you know, what what book should I be reading? Because I don't. I, again, I depend on this to tell me, like, oh, I got to find this one. Man, there uh, for me, like, there's so many out there of uh, when it comes to like indie books. I've definitely become a I, I stick to a writer is where if there's yeah. writers that I see that are doing something, you mentioned Mark Russell, If Mark Russell's writing a book. I'm reading it. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark's great. Uh, I just, I just had Kyle Starks on the show and just, Kyle has fit into that category of if he is writing a book, I'm reading something mm-hmm. that he writes. And so, you know, and he's currently with where monsters lie, this idea of you've got a whole bunch of monsters living in a slasher horror movie monsters that are living in a gated community because mm-hmm. somebody's got to, take care of them right like somebody's got to pay their cable bill somebody's got to get them food and like they're all just like hey we're here so like it's things like that that um man i could go on forever so <laughs> no but you gave me one because you know honestly again how things have shifted uh mark russell who i spent most of WonderCon trying to convince i'm not a stalker because i just walked up to him and david you were the one at the bar we're like uh, you know oh i'm gonna sit over there so i go over there and i sit down next to mark russell but my first thing to him is like Everything I read, I take something wise away right. from, and it's a quote that sticks with me. And I tell everybody. So you know, by Sunday, he uh, he thought, okay, this guy isn't gonna like wear my skin. Uh, and if he watches this, <laughs> remember, I was okay. Uh, but where, <laughs> but I've also shifted because I didn't know about traveling to Mars uh, mm-hmm. until he brought it up at WonderCon. And by that time, I couldn't find it anywhere. It's from a Blaze, which is a company. Right trying to break through i'm all for it uh and they've got the sumerian the uh you know uh rights free conan um uh, yeah. so i had to go to com- uh kindle or comiXology because amazon pushes it all to your kindle and where monsters lie is what they're recommending mm-hmm. and so right now that's been like i kind of look and go does that title look interesting because when i went to the comic shop <clears throat> i missed that if it was there at all Right. right, you know, and then I go back, and there's been a couple of books, David, you've written, and you know that that I had to just go on to, uh, uh, you know, comicsology and buy the no, the and, digital. and and sometimes as a writer, you end up at a blaze because, not that I've written for anything for them, but sometimes you're like, the usual suspects wouldn't buy this from me, right? So I gotta go yeah. somewhere else, and maybe I'll maybe I'm taking a haircut on my page rate, maybe not, but I want to do this thing. I have an ind- I have a creator-owned book that I'm trying to set up at Dynamite, and is their deal they're offering me the best deal I could possibly get anywhere? Not really, but but if it's if it's the one I'm thinking of, I'll yeah, buy it. But I want to do it. To it. I want to do it, and I like them, and I have a good relationship with them. So I want to make that work over there. If it doesn't work over there, I will try it somewhere else. But uh, you know, you 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 do sometimes make choices about publisher and venue by like. Well, this is this is who likes this. This is enthusiasm is better than tolerance. Uh, you, you want someone who is on board, and sometimes who's on board is not the guy with the most money. I, I think sometimes. Oh, I was gonna say I think sometimes too. If you're writing a certain story, it's gonna fit for a publisher like with their branding a lot more too. Like too. if you are you're bringing something you know more in the humor element. You know, Ahoy is a great brand for that aspect. Mm-hmm. Where right. You're not what you're going to pitch to an Ahoy book is not necessarily what you're going to pitch to, say, Volk. Um, yeah. So I think there is some there is some wisdom in that too. Of as creators, you know, if you have a story that you're like, it might not get me what I want the best, but 
I know it's going to get me the the you know the market that I want of the mm -hmm. demographic I'm going to hit. So yeah, I, I, and sometimes I, I, the goal is I want this thing in print. The end, and yeah. I will I will make sacrifices to get it in print. Well, yeah, and and I I, I mean I do like. I, I do like examining the decision that the artist, that the writer made to do this. You know, again, you know, Ryan Johnson makes these huge movies, but every once in a while, he's gonna he's gonna slow down. He's gonna make a he's gonna make a small movie, and and you know, and you know, again, the idea that it's worth his time to do that is very interesting to me. I I I, I sit up. I'm like, oh wow, you know, what what is this gonna be? And then you, get, you usually get something really interesting and really challenging. Mm -hmm. And, and 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 the idea of context is so interesting. The idea of okay, well, I'm going to follow this writer, right? And um, and not everything this writer does is going to be an A plus, home run, grand slam, whatever. However, if I'm following this writer, I can I get a sense of what what he or she is going for. for right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know the other books. I know well they've done this, this, and this, and now they're doing this, and I can see why they did it. And, and, and you can see that, you know, they swung for the fences with this one, but, you know, maybe they didn't clear it, but it's really interesting. It's a really interesting study. It's a really exciting experience because of all this context. You know, um, when I did my book at SourcePoint, there were these SourcePoint fanatics, you know, uh, and, and fanatic is sometimes, uh, uh, you know, used, uh, you know, as, as a derogatory term, but they were, they, I mean, they love SourcePoint Press books so much and they read everything that SourcePoint Press did and they were excited about my book because of how it fit into the SourcePoint Press catalog. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that, that was very interesting to me that it's like, well, well, you know, again, there, there are two or three people at SourcePoint Press that are making all the decisions in terms of what to program. Uh, and that really excites somebody, you know, uh, yeah. again, you know, it's, 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 it's the equivalent of, you know, I don't know if it's, it's not exactly like this anymore, but let's say five years ago, if something made HBO, like I was, you, I was interested. Up. I was up. interested. Yeah. 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 And I would, I, I would watch the first episode at the very least and, and be very intrigued by it. I may, I may not watch all 10 or all 12 or whatever, or whatever, but it was like, I know that um, there is going to be, you know, there's going to be a certain bar of quality and of, of, of this being challenging intellectually. Um, and I know I'm going to see a world that I'm not used to and characters that I'm not used to seeing. And that, that's very, that's, that's awesome. And, and I, I can look, I can look at almost every HBO show and find something awesome about it. And again, I, I, mean, I don't know what this HBO you're talking about yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, it's Max. It's Max. just Max. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they were the, they were the only part of Cinemax is really where the quality material yeah. was. Yes, absolutely. You know, which is why they've stayed with the Max branding. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's the shift. I'm waiting for Showtime to rebrand as the movie channel, by the way. I think that'll, that'll be the real. They're real. just going to be time. Yeah, yeah bring yeah. Joe Bob Briggs back, yeah. Yeah. I know, but yeah. he's on uh, he's on Shutter. So, yeah. uh, but you know, talking about the, like SourcePoint and and Vault, I really like Vault as a publisher. I don't know that I'd buy everything, but because I'm still following, I see all these new, uh, especially digitally, uh, Chip Monster's new company. I can't, I'm not, I can't remember what it's. How I'm distillery to with no vowels. Distillery, distillery with no vowels. Yeah. Uh, that. It's no longer. This is where Disney and Warner Brothers are kind of messing up. It, it it's no longer about, nor necessarily should it be that big franchise character. It's, am I going to follow every book that Scott Snyder's going to write? Yeah, uh, and, right. and they're they're really trusting that the average comics fan is going to know that Scott Snyder wrote that Batman run they really loved, and right. you know. 
but did those readers like Scott Snyder or did they just, because it's Batman, they bought everything that, that Batman was in, which I don't anymore. I'm tired, honestly, uh, yeah. of Batman books. I watch Bat Wheels, of all things. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, I can't uh, imagine why. But it was fun. It was something that is, But that, that has always been the yeah. thing where like, you follow a writer from the popular thing down the rabbit hole. Uh, you know, I just got in the mail recently the 15 issue compendium of Aztec mm -hmm. Ace. And that was one of the mm -hmm. first times I was published in the mid 80s. I had read Doug Mensch's work in little pot, like not on Batman, but I, I feel like it was, you know, weird war tales or like, Maybe. you know, not in a, not at a, not in a standard. I didn't read uh, Shang-Chi. You know, I didn't read Moon Knight. I was reading something else, clearly. But he had a new book at Eclipse, and it looked cool. And Eclipse was the HBO for me of its day, where if a book was it at was. Eclipse, that was an interesting book. I mean, if, if you went back in time, right, you know, to me in the mid-'80s and said, Eclipse, Kamiko, and First are going to vanish off the face of the Earth, I'd have gone, really? Like, all the best comics are Eclipse, Kamiko, and First. That can't be true. You know, uh, I would have named any a number of other publishers that wouldn't exist anymore. But that's the ugliness of that business. You know, getting yeah. to know Howard Taken, I have gotten to know, like, you know, all all that was behind. He's a American. ray of sunshine about that. Isn't oh, he? ray of sunshine about. <laughs> but just like what the hey, deal was at first and what he was going through to produce that. Because I think those issues are like 28 pages or something crazy like yeah. that. Yeah. And there, it's an incredibly work-intensive book that he's doing and I, alone. And I, need I need an omnibus of that, you know, which yeah, gives yeah. to kids today. When American flag is like so prescient, and you and I have talked about this yeah. uh, late night at a bar, uh, yeah. that that there is that there is no way for an audience to discover it affordably right now is a crime. Yeah, and. And, yeah. you know, I think about the nature of the business. There was one book that was like one of my favorites in college. I could only find it when I was at UCLA at Graffiti when they had a storefront in Westwood that for years I convinced myself, no, it must have been a local or it didn't really exist. Like I just kind of imagined this book. And I finally found like, yeah, it just kind of dribbled away. What it's, was called the book? Spaced. it's called Spaced. It was a very cartoony uh, space thing where there's this alien who was leading a, a ship out to explore the galaxy and and why i got into it was they had a guy named lieutenant snicked who was clearly wolverine but really dumb and sure. uh it was a, so they drew me in with that but then i got into the story like what are they trying to do i never read the ending i'm still not sure they had an ending yep. i never got the first few issues because you couldn't find them in the 80s you know yep. that was it and yeah, the no, print run was so small it's like you know it's lost sounds, sounds, like, sounds like a mission for idw Aztec Ace, I was a huge fan of it. Getting the 15-issue omnibus, reading through it, I was like, yeah. so I was a huge fan of this thing, and I since 1980-whatever, when it was in print, I was capable of finding and reading six issues of it. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. my entire love of it was based on six issues randomly, not consecutively, that were so interesting. And taken as a whole, it's, it's rather less than the sum of its parts. But talk about it. It's one of the biggest swings I've ever seen in comics. But it was and it's, lightning to your brain, you know? And, yeah, and it's, the other thing to remember it is, is... It is Alan Moore dense before Alan Moore was doing that. Every like, book, 
Every yeah. book and every movie and every TV show has the potential to be someone's favorite. Yep. And yeah. whatever that emotional bond you had with it in college, whatever, doesn't matter if it really holds up. That you know, that's why I really appreciate. Yeah, the but it is. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers reunion yeah. special made yeah. no attempt to make that a smarter show. Nope. No, and I then really it wouldn't have been the Mighty Morphin that. Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and and that's the thing is you can see a single joke, a single line of dialogue, a single image in something that isn't even good can stick with you forever. And there are things in Aztec Ace that I have referenced in comic books that I've written. There are ideas and ways of telling a story and concepts about time travel. I actually think the, a lot of the stuff about time travel in Aztec Ace became in some way or another snuck into the zeitgeist. And now everybody does time travel that way. The idea that when you violate one of the ideas of Aztec Ace, and this is a little bit from Doctor Who, is that when you change history too much, the universe just collapses. Like the, there there's a way things, in time. there are fixed points in time. And this is before that line, occur, yeah. but there are th there's a thing he called doxy glitches, which are paradox glitches where literally it starts raining frogs because you broke something because you stopped something that was supposed to happen. And I feel like that idea is in everything now, like the way the multiverse is in Marvel comics is very, and in the movies is very much influenced by that. And that may be because three writers and me were reading Aztec Ace in the 80s, and that idea got in our heads. And now when we write time travel, we go, well, when you violate the timeline, everything starts collapsing and frogs come out of, you know, mailboxes. And, you know, that's that's a thing that happens. Uh, so it's, it is also fascinating for that, because even an, un an underread comic only has to reach one writer mm -hmm. who is then successful for that idea to then be everywhere. Do you find, yourself making, you find yourself making references in conversation that only you would get yep. because it was a cultural connection and then they all just stare at you blankly yep. and you back away slowly? Because that is my daily existence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I grew, you know, I was lucky. I grew up with my father was a movie nut and he would constantly refer to movies from the 1930s and 40s and I would have to footnote him to friends and family members. We would sit down to a meal in public and he would say, now this is what we Normans like. And everyone would stare at him. And I would say, that's what Claude Rain says in the feast scene in The Adventures of Robin Hood, 1930. <laughs> you know, like, that's just, just so you know, dad is referencing uh, Claude Rains in Adventures of Robin Hood playing Prince John, 1933. So, or 36, whatever it is. But uh, but yeah, 36. so I'm, I'm used to the you know, the deep, 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 deep cut. And again, you know, the, the, the Holy grail is to make the deep cut and it doesn't matter that anybody gets it. No, absolutely. my favorite example of that is Boris Badenov, who is the villain, as you all know, in Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons, you rarely hear his last name. I was probably in my thirties or forties when I first discovered there was a famous Russian opera called Boris Gudenov. Yes. You don't need to know about the Russian opera Boris Gudenov for Boris Badenov to be funny. It say, just looks there, and it is, and it's a name, and it's funny. And the fact that it's a reference to fucking Pushkin is unnecessary, but it's hilarious that it's just sitting there in plain sight being this incredibly high-culture, deep-cut 
sitting side by side next to what's the matter you and you know all of the other uh cross-cultural jokes on that show. anytime someone complains to me at work i say you knew the job was dangerous when you took it fred right i had to send a co-worker a supercut of super chicken saying that because of course he had no idea who super chicken yeah. was and yeah uh, so i had to my father to used to say one of my favorite whenever my father was bedraggled or saw someone with just bedraggled, he would say he had a little trouble getting it through the revolving door <laughs> In room service, yes, <clears throat> Groucho Marx is about to be thrown out of his hotel, so he sends Chico and Harpo to his home to bring everything from his home into his hotel room, so it's impossible to throw him out. And Chico shows up with a stuffed moose head, and his clothing is all torn up, and everybody stares at him, and he says, I had a little trouble getting it okay. through the revolving door. <laughs> I love that line. And the fact that my father found that hilarious had him saying this completely incomprehensible thing. <laughs> he had a little trouble getting it through the revolving door. Uh, anyway, we should we should wrap up. I know uh, Derek, you're on you're on short time. Uh, Greg, where can people find you, and uh, what are you up to next? Yeah, so you can find me on Bearded Comic Bro on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, everywhere, um, and I'm just doing more creator interviews uh i've been doing a lot of youtube shorts uh and tiktok stuff like that because because of the algorithm and that's how it gets people to come watch my channel so i can do creator interviews and stuff like sure. that um but you know and then i do a handful of content with my wife and we will review comic books do a comic book cooking show do a game show and things Ooh. like that so Fun. um yeah so just find me anywhere on bearded comic bro and you'll find something so but i got a lot of creator interviews lined up for may and june so uh that sh should be a lot of fun you know i i, I have a new book in june uh well Derek well well <laughs> i know somebody then because i was just like we haven't i haven't had you on the show and you have not blood, but that's i don't think blood is a great is a great book uh and i i think i Thank looked you. it up as soon as i had rylan on because i think rylan was like you gotta check out drawing blood and so it's so yeah so We'll, there's we'll there's some news about drawing blood coming soon, but we'll we'll talk about that after we go off air. Uh, and Derek, where can people find you? I, I keep it simple. Everything is Fanboy Planet. It's fanboyplanet.com. The YouTube channel is Fanboy Planet. Uh, Twitter, Fanboy Planet, and Instagram, Fanboy Planet. So that's that's it. Fantastic. And Ryland, what do you have coming out next? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That is R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. If you are just listening, uh, I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for everybody. Um, just finished up the Jump 3 Kickstarter. Again, if you missed it, uh, check out my social media. There will be a link to the backer kit shop where you can get everything. And you can get you know signed copies of Aberrant and Banjax and Suicide Jockeys and uh, you know all my goodies. Um, in Boogie Nights, uh, they are setting up for a shoot and, uh, Burt Reynolds wants to roll and the cinematographer says, no, wait, there's a shadow here. Uh, I got to fix it. And Burt says, there are shadows in life, baby. <laughs> and they roll. And so you talk about these lines that you carry with you. Um, I, I am an ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk. I, I, I run sits, I run retreats and we'll be in the Zendo sometimes. And uh, people are sitting there trying to, you know, trying to meditate, trying to, uh, uh, you know, keep their concentration. And they'll be like, man, that, uh, that, that, um, that construction worker outside, I can hear him talking. And I'll say, there are construction workers in life, baby. 
Yeah. I just leave it at that. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Who knew? Who knew that Burt Reynolds was a uh, Zen master? But but he is. So I think Sally Jeff. Field. I'm pretty sure yes. that Sally Field uh, yeah. knew she, this. She probably, she probably had a good idea. Yeah, she had she had a she had a sense of it. Maybe also Jackie Gleason, depending on what mood you got him in. Yeah, uh, that that is a great that is a great story about a, you know quotes you apply to to life all the time. Uh, I am the very easily Googled David Avalone. Uh, you can find, uh, I have a website, uh, davidavalonefreelance.com. That has the branching tree to everywhere. I think I'm going to launch a sub stack in a minute because as Twitter implodes, I got to go somewhere. And uh, Elvira in Monsterland, number one, drops May 17th. The first issue is called It's a Vlad, 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 Vlad World, which is one of my favorite titles ever, courtesy of uh, <laughs> cartoonist Richard Fairgray. I told him I was looking for a Vlad, Vlad the Impaler pun for the issue, which is about Vlad kidnapping all of the Draculas out of every Dracula movie ever made. And he came back with that uh, stunning, beautiful title. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Greg and Derek, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks and for having until us. next time, this is going to if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.